Blog Talk Radio. Uh, I'm 
unfortunately, I got to go through this stupid. Um, sorry about that. Can't do it. Yeah, this one. Here we go. With dubious connections to Vladimir that includes his campaign manager, Paul Manafort, who led Kremlin candidate Viktor Yanukovych to power in Ukraine and ensured Russian influence in Eastern Europe. Yanukovych, who's currently in exile in Russia, set off Ukraine's maiden revolution when his crackdown killed 100 protesters in Kiev. His advisor is now Trump's advisor. Trump's foreign policy advisor on Russia has shares in Moscow's state-controlled gas company. A foreign policy speechwriter for Trump has money in that same state gas company and is on the board of Russia's largest private bank. Trump himself has claimed vast business dealings in Russia, and his son said publicly, Russians make up a pretty disproportionate cross-section of a lot of our assets. We see a lot of money pouring in from Russia. For one, Trump had a joint real estate project with the Agalarov family who are close friends of Putin and who receive a lot of state-funded contracts. The youngest Igalarov is an aspiring pop star who even featured Trump in one of his music videos. Kevin, wake up! Come on! What's wrong with you? Because he won't release his tax returns, there's no way to know the extent of Trump's financial ties to Putin's Russia. In fact, that's a leading theory as to why he won't release them. Because he is deeply involved in dealing with Russian oligarchs and others. All the state-owned Russian companies with Trump's staff and friends on their payroll are only operated through blessing from Putin's inner circle. And in the last few years, Putin has quietly funneled millions of dollars to politicians who might destabilize the West and be friendlier toward Russia. That includes an $11.7 million loan from a Kremlin-controlled bank to the party of France's far-right Marine Le Pen. In Greece, that. Putin's government is suspected of funding the Golden Dawn, mm. one of Europe's most violent far-right parties. This is something American officials are actively watching. The Kremlin's working hard to buy off and co-opt European political forces. President Putin sees such political forces as, as uh, forces as useful tools to be manipulated. There's nothing to show that kind of funding for Trump's effort. But we do know there is a great mutual admiration between Putin and Trump. Putin reaffirming their bromance by calling the GOP frontrunner, quote, brilliant and talented. Within hours, Trump responded, saying it was a great honor to be so nicely complimented by a man so highly respected within his own country and beyond. That's despite Putin's record of jailing and poisoning political opponents mm. and killing journalists critical of his government. No, but again, he kills journalists that don't agree with him. Well, I think uh, our country does plenty of killing also, Joe. So, you know. Trump's policies are friendlier toward Russia than anything from either major party since the fall of the Soviet Union. He says he'd reorient NATO away from defending against Russia. And with input from Manafort, his Russia-friendly campaign manager, he gutted the Republican platform plank opposing Russia and Ukraine, which would allow continued occupation of Crimea. All the while, Putin's propaganda machine, the state-funded RT, or Russia Today, has worked hard to spread pro-Trump messaging internationally. Donald Trump is right. George W. Bush did not do enough to stop 9-11. He's against U.S. meddling abroad. He's against foreign intervention. He has a message here. It's resonating. Until Trump follows the lead of every American nominee for president, we won't know the personal, professional, and financial connections he and his organization have with Putin's government and with Russia. But numbers do tell us one thing for sure. 
Of all the countries polled on the U.S. presidential candidates, only one favored Trump. And it shouldn't be a surprise who. For News Yam's Zach Toons. Amazing, huh? Mm. That was amazing. Yeah, it, it, just, it just tells you. The RSIA comes standard with pretty oh, yeah, much everything. Oh, here's another one that we should watch. So it doesn't need packages. This is a divorce speech. Introducing the oh. full trim package. You can get a man bun. Uh, or a man bands. Whatever you want. The full trim package. But not when we do it. Allegra. The fastest no, non-drought energy release. Uh, Trump's uh, oh, little web of injuries really there. Yeah. The simple fact is that if a school is not meeting a... Uh, this is, this is uh, Betsy DeVos uh, compared school choice to picking a phone plan. This is our education secretary. And, and, oh and she did this, and I think this is the one... Were they Buddha? I think this is the one in the, uh, at the uh, university. But well, let's see. The child's unique needs, then that school is failing that child. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos spoke at a tech conference in Utah, and the metaphor she used to advocate for school choice has some people shaking their heads. Think of it like your cell phone. But if you can't get cell phone service in your living room, then your particular provider is failing you. The billionaire businesswoman is a longtime advocate of school choice. It lets parents pick education options for their kids that aren't based on address. This isn't the first time DeVos has used a controversial comparison to make her case. In February, a statement of hers said historically black colleges and universities are the, quote, real pioneers when it comes to school choice. But those schools were founded out of necessity. They were the only choice for students of color before integration. Critics say that statement showed just how out of touch DeVos is with some of the populations she serves as education secretary. DeVos later backtracked and said the schools were created, quote, in the face of racism, not to give black students more choices. Uh, well, so much for our for our talented. Uh, oh my God. Yeah, that's quite frightening. Huh? The speechwriter must have been the same as Melania's. Yeah, yeah, probably the same. Ignorant. Probably the same. Oh, I don't know. So uh, now this guy, this, this guy, this, this guy was great. This is nobody listening. He says, "This is the uh, this is the one Iowa congressman, GOP congressman." He's a Republican. Yeah. And uh, Raghun took heat from constituents angry about his yes vote on the Republican bill to repeal and replace Obamacare. And we listen to what this woman says. This is this is great. She approaches this guy and, and talks to him. This is probably woman. Because this plan, uh, you know, it just it just uh, takes one of these town hall meetings. Yeah. No, but this plan. Uh, Don't push this button.
ask these questions. I don't represent all Iowans. I represent my, the first district of Iowa. That'd be, that'd be like saying, uh, shouldn't I be able to, even though I live in Dubuque, go vote in Iowa City during the election because I'd like to vote in that district instead. Would you still take donations from a Republican in Iowa City? I mean, I'm not done. We haven't even, we just it started. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. We, 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 we just asked why you wanted to do the interview. That was, that was it. Congressman, you don't come on. Take a, take a seat. Congressman, I, I insist. Let's, let's talk about... Later, Town Hall in the view. He was met by a face question about his vote in favor of repealing the profession of Obamacare. My name is Marilyn Schrader, and I'm from Bellevue, Iowa. Okay, my question, I want to go back to health care insurance. And my concern is the fact that what has been voted on in the House would take health care insurance away from like 29 million Americans, and a whole lot of them are right here in Iowa. And I think the reason that the House voted the way it did, this debate you voted, for example, no on the first bill. And I understand the Cole brothers let it be known that they wouldn't support you.
news last week that the state's top 100 taxpayers contributed 45% less in income tax in the previous year should make it abundantly clear to legislatures now crafting a budget how important the super-rich are to Connecticut's economy. Any move that will encourage them to move to another state, namely ratcheting up income taxes, would be potentially disastrous. For the 2016 year, Connecticut's top 100 taxpayers paid a total of $256,031,558 in state income tax. Yes, more than $2.5 million each, but that's down more than $200 million from $463,097,432 in 2015 and down from $664,631,000 in 2014. To say Connecticut's tax structure is volatile is understating the issue. But is the dis dis decrease because the rich are moving out? Officials from the Department of Revenue Services say they can't yet be certain, and many people file extensions, and it's unclear if they will file as residents or non-residents. Kevin Sullivan, the commissioner of the tax department, points out that last year was a low or no bonus year. Whoops, I can't see there. What happened to that? low or no bonus year for many in the finance industry. Also, he said the possibility of a more favorable federal tax climate in the near future might discourage the super rich from selling positions and exposing themselves to taxes now. Still, the most recent census data support the notion that more well-off people are leaving Connecticut than moving in. Census data also show a net loss of the well-educated and the older population to other states. All taken together, it should be a clear sign to legislators that Connecticut is not the magnet for money and brains that it once was and could be again. The 2015 census data shows that among people moving to and, to and from different states, Connecticut saw a net loss in almost every income category. Of people earning more than 75000 the highest bracket measured by the census, 11,773 moved into Connecticut, but 13,536 moved out, a net loss of 1,763 people. There was a similar loss in 2014. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. So that loss of people with graduate or professional degrees in 2015 was even steeper, uh, 3,883 more highly educated people moved out. And moved in. Three thousand moved out. Thirty-eight hundred. Yeah, three thousand plus. So those. Uh, when we lose big uh, taxpayers. Uh, those numbers don't tell all the stories. Uh, people moving to Connecticut from overseas aren't included in those statistics. For example, there have been net population gains among the thirty to forty age group. Um, who moved between states, but the trend is clear and has been for some time, and the massive loss of tax revenue this year alone underscores it. Without significant changes, there's no sign uh, things will change uh, for the better. Income tax makes up half the state's revenue. In this increasingly mobile economy, it's just as easy for a hedge fund manager to work from Florida or somewhere else with a more favorable income tax climate than Connecticut. 
Hiking taxes on the rich again might inspire an exodus, and loss of enough high-income earners can ultimately offset, offset what could be gained with higher tax rates. But there are opportunities. Massachusetts, and especially New York, have also been losing residents to other states. Both of Connecticut's neighbors lost a net of nearly 1% of their 75,000-plus earners to other states, compared to about 0.33% in, uh, in Connecticut. Nationally, there's a general migration west and south for high earners. But Connecticut exchanges more residents with Nanor, York, and Massachusetts than other states. It makes sense to make Connecticut as friendly a destination as possible for people and for businesses. And if people from New York and Massachusetts are looking to move, Connecticut should roll out the red carpet. Well, yeah, it probably makes sense, but we're losing regardless. And we didn't have a lot to lose to begin with. No. I mean, they have much more income and business than we do. We lost, uh, what, almost half a, half, over half a trillion, uh, half, so half a billion dollars. So if we compared it proportionally, it would really show yeah. uh, the problems, the, the problem that we have. Sure, sure. Trump fired Sally Yates the day she offered a review of evidence Flynn was compromised. That, that was kind of interesting, you know. We all thought that she was fired because of the... Uh, Meeting on the tarmac. No. No, no. Of the, the refusing to support his um, travel ban. Travel ban. Yeah, it, was, sorry. it was more than that. Okay. As it turns out, huh? Yeah. Former acting general, Attorney General Sally Yates testified to the Senate about her warning to the White House that then-Secretary National Security Advisor Mike Flynn was compromised and could be uh, subject to Russian blackmail. That's day, scary, huh? Yeah. The day she invited the White House to review such evidence was her last day at the Department of Justice. Hmm. Former Acting Attorney General Sally Yates testified to the Senate subcommittees Monday that she had evidence that Mike Flynn was compromised and could be blackmailed by Russia. The information has been previously reported in the course of multiple investigations into the Trump's team's tied to Russia. And what was not known until now is that on the very day Yates invited the White House to review the evidence she had on Flynn, she was removed from her position by the, at the Department of Justice. Oh, interesting. Well, Yates, we told Yates, we told them that we were inclined to allow them to look at the underlying evidence. What we wanted to go back to DOJ and be able to make the logistical um, arrangements for that. This second meeting on the 27th of January occurred late in the afternoon. This is Friday the 27th. So we told them that we would work with the FBI over the weekend on this issue and get back with him on Monday morning. And I called them first then Monday morning to let him know that we would allow them to come over and to review the underlying evidence. Mm-hmm. White House. And was that, the tele- was that the phone call or was there a separate phone call? Yates. Uh, there was the phone call initially to let him know I needed to come to see him. White House, yep. And two meetings, uh, and then a phone call at the end of to let him know. White House, since this is a conversation, I guess. That the material was available if he wanted to see it? Right. Yates, that the material was available. 
He had to call me back. He was not available then, and I did not hear back from him until that afternoon of Monday the 30th, the White House. And that was the end of this episode. Nobody came over to look at the material. Yates, I don't know what happened after that because that was my last day with EOJ. White House, got it. Yates' firing also occurred on the same day she sent a letter to the Justice Department lawyers saying Trump's Muslim ban was unlawful. The Trump administration initially tried to prevent Yates' testimony, arguing that executive privilege barred her from testifying to Congress. But the public outcry for reviews led to Yates agreeing to testify. Yates raised her concerns with the Trump team via two meetings with the White House counsel, Don McGahn, and a phone call with him as well. Yates first warned the Trump team about Flynn's problems on January 26, but Flynn was not fired until 18 days later after news reports revealed that Flynn had made contact with Russian elements. I think that Don McGahn was the one who had who had, in, who had a, a deal with Russia as well. Oh, and he was, he was fired. But, um, yeah, I'm telling you. Ooh, In a new poll, Trump is described as ignorant, incompetent, and a liar. These are two incredible things, because another one was that um, how he screwed 7 million vet- veterans. Next oh. one. Americans are using extremely negative terms to describe Donald Trump as his support across the board, even among his base continues to collapse. While a follow-up from James Comey firing has yet to be measured. A new poll from I, I believe this only because my my opinion has shrunk to to absolute disgust over Donald Trump. And a new poll from Quinnipiac University shows support for Donald Trump collapsing, particularly among the groups that helped him win the election, such as white voters with no college degree, white men and independent voters. This survey shows um Trump's overall approval rating at an anemic thirty six percent with fifty eight percent of those surveyed uh, disapproving of his presidency. Majority of voters have negative assessments of Trump's personal qualities. They do not b- believe Trump is honest, has good leadership skills, cares about average Americans, is level-headed, or that he sh- shares their values. In this rapport showing in the polls came Trump uh, before Trump decided to fire FBI Director Comey under cover of darkness, and as the FBI was ramping up investigations into Trump and Russia. Even more strikes, uh, striking are the top terms respondents gave as the first word that came to mind when they thought about Trump. The top 15 words offered in the free-form exercise were idiot, incompetent, liar, leader, unqualified, president, strong, businessman, in- ignorant, egotistical, asshole, stupid, arrogant, trying, uh, and bully. After the fiasco of the first hundred days of his president, it appears that the bottom is falling out of Trump's presidency, and he has made it much worse. Mm, boy. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? Russian, oh, wait a minute, Russian Foreign Minister. Openly scoff at Comey's firing. Was he fired? You are kidding. Uh, that's it's like, you know, they didn't know. Hmm. Oh, this is disgusting, too. 
Trump's uh, Commerce Secretary Ross uh, joked that Syria after the airstrike was free after dinner entertainment. Oh my God. Yeah. Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross chillingly illustrated Donald Trump's dangerous view of presidential power when he joked that the Syrian airstrike was after dinner entertainment at Mar-a-Lago. Donald Trump's outrageous and abusive firing of FBI Director James Comey is just the latest demonstration that he wields presidential power like a clumsy, gorilla-sized toddler. Godzilla. A Godzilla, excuse me. The move stunned even those critics of Trump who have come to expect almost anything from this administration. But new video from the recent Mike uh, Milliken Institute Global Conference provides another reminder of just how frightening this administration's view of presidential power can be. Uh, Milken Institute, that's Michael Milken. He, he, was, uh, he, he, he was in jail. He was jailed for, for uh, junk bonds. Right. Uh, back in the I guess he kept 90s. some of the money. Yeah, but he put all of his money. In, he got prostate cancer, and well, and all the money that he made off the junk bonds, he put into into prostate cancer research. Oh. And uh, got some, healed. some of it helped him, I guess, and others. But what's uh, um, he? Uh, but that. But it's funny that it'd be in the Milken Institute. Uh, speaking at a conference last week, Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross described the evening at Mar-a-Lago during which Trump informed Chinese President Xi Jinping of his unilateral and ultimately ineffective airstrike on a Syrian airbase. Ross joked that the 59 Tomahawk cruise missile strike served as after-dinner entertainment that didn't cost the president anything. That's disgusting. Yeah. To the amusement of the audience, as well as moderator and Carlisle Group founder, David Rubenstein. Oh, my God. They're not heartless souls. They don't have any souls. No. Heartless people. Well, Ross says, well, I'm not happy that you're a trade posture, but if you help me with Kim Jong-un, I will be able to help you a little bit. And how did that work? Well, Ross says, well, the most bizarre thing about the dinner was obviously that just as dessert was being served, the president explained to Mr. Z that he had something he wanted to tell them, which was the launching of 59 missiles into Syria. So it was in lieu of after-dinner entertainment that we staged that. Rubenstein said was that the chocolate cake was supposed to be very good, but that interrupted the chocolate cake that there. And Ross said, well, the thing was, it didn't cost the president anything to have that entertainment. No, it cost us uh, $59 million. This is about a million dollars a, 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 a missile, you know. But, you know, what a, this was uh, written by a guy named Tommy Christopher, senior writer for uh, his political runs. No, Share Blue. Share Blue. Share Blue. So uh, you can check that out. But, I mean, that's pretty sick stuff, you know. Very sick stuff. But... We're getting used to, to that with uh, with him. Uh, if there's anything you read or share, this is this pen. Uh, this, it's it's that's more technical than, than anything. Dandelions cure cancer. Yep, yep. Dandelions cure cancer, hepatitis, liver, kidney, stomach, and here's how to use it.
Dandelions cure cancer. Uh, let's see if there's an article here somewhere. Oh, yeah. Huh. Dandelion root. Uh, dandelion root has been used as a therapy for many years. It's able to treat allergies, lower cholesterol levels, to improve bile production, to detoxify the liver. Also, it has diuretic properties that, and if good, and if probably it, is if, good for pregnant women properties. and those in men who have menopause. Spring is the best time to harvest dandelion root, particularly in the beginning of April. It's best to pick it from places that are less polluted, such as areas away from the town and the road. You may not know that all parts of the dandelion have medicinal properties. Its leaves are rich in vitamins, and you can use them in salad or with potatoes and eggs. Dandelion stem has the power to relieve stomach problems, boost the function of the gallbladder, regulates metabolism, purifies the blood. Also, the stem can be used to treat diabetes, while the milk from the stem can be used to remove warts. In addition, people can use dandelion flowers to prepare homemade dandelion syrup, it will help your body to purify the blood. It relieves the cough and improves, and improves digestion. Okay. Recipe for dandelion syrup. Pour three liters of water over 400 yellow dandelion flowers. Next, cut four oranges and four lemons into slices. Add them to the mixture and leave it for 24 hours. Well, I almost had 400 dandelions <laughs> around here. Three liters of water. 400 dandelion flowers. Those are the tips, right? There. Those are the tops, yeah. And then, uh, next, cut four oranges, four lemons into slices, and add them to the mixture. Huh. Well, when I get more, uh, get more of those, we'll, uh, yeah. we had a ton of them. I know. We have I wish we would have known to do something with them. I know. But, uh, I didn't read this article. Not in time. <laughs> oh, after 24 hours, strain the mixture and place it in a pot. Then add two cups of sugar into the pot and cook for 30 minutes. Um, remove it after it boils and then thicken and gets thick enough. Then place the syrup in sterilized jars. Treat cold, cough, or bronchitis with the syrup. Wow. And uh, I don't know how you can fight diabetes if you put uh, two cups of sugar in it. But, uh, well, you can't have the dandelion syrup. That's <laughs> no, so dandelion root is a health benefit and properties that fight cancer. Dandelion is long used and popular for its medical properties. Nowadays, modern medicine validates the health benefits of this flower and said it is even able to cure cancer. If you want to prepare and store dandelion roots, you need to peel, cut, and dry them for a fresh... On a fresh dry them out in the fresh air. Leave them dry, dry, dry for them two weeks. Dry them on a fresh air. So what they mean, leave them yeah, out. No. Leave them dry for two weeks or until they get brittle under the fingers. When they become dry, place them in a jar and keep in a cool, dark place. Dandelion roots are able to clean kidneys, liver, lymph, and gallbladder. It is helpful in treating gallstones, constipation, hepatitis, acne, edema, and rheumatism. Additionally, it's effective for women in prevention and treatment of problems with breastfeeding, cysts, tumors, and cancer. Okay. There isn't anything that it doesn't cure, I guess. Yeah, this is how you prepare dandelion tea. It says drop, uh, dry chop and mince some dandelion leaves. Place the mixture in a jar. Keep it uh, for use in the future. Have half a teaspoon of this mixture in a glass of water and your tea is ready. 
Another option is to combine 60 grams of a fresh mixture and 30 grams of dried dandelion root. Um, place the mixture in a pan with 2.5 ounces of water with a pinch of salt and bring the boil over the pan and simmer for about 20 minutes and strain the mixture and drink three cups every day. Okay. Wow. Okay. Let's try that. So, you can get that from Daily Native American is the is the website. Okay. Daily Native American. World War II military. Oh, DailyNative.us actually. Oh, that's the uh, article. The, the, uh, the, the website. The website. This was interesting to me because uh, you know uh, World War II military deaths, the Allies. Allied forces. Turns out that 65% of all the military deaths in World War II were Soviet Union. I was aware of that. They had the highest casualties. Yeah. China was 23%. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Yugoslavia was 3 United States was 2%. Uh, United Kingdom was 2%. France, Poland were 1%. And others were 3%. Hmm. Interesting. I thought that was interesting. Things your history teacher never told you. Those who are fighting for their lives fought to the death. Military historians uh, should note that little detail in their philosophy of war. A war of defense tends to have commitment. And, uh, oh, this was really, this this one was really good. I thought we should, under, we should see this. This explains the Republican health care, you know. And what it is, it was a good article. The average age of an American... Uh, it's a... Yeah, yeah no, go to the no, yeah. Okay. American Health Care Acts Prosperity Gospel. With the bill, uh, 51 votes away from the law, the central philosophy of the Trump era is one step closer to becoming policy. Stop me if you've heard this one. A Trump voter in Trump country, maybe a coal miner in West Virginia, or the patron of Sleepy Dinah in rural Kentucky, is a recipient of Medicaid coverage under Obamacare for life-threatening illness or chronic condition, but still maintains total support for President Trump and his zeal for repealing the program. Soon enough, there may be an addiction to the tale of the anti- Oh, in addition to the tale of the anti-Obamacare Trump voter, on Thursday, the American Health Care Act, the Republican plan to repeal and replace Obamacare, passed the House after months of deliberation and frustration for the party. Party leaders celebrated in the Rose Garden. Perhaps people in Trump country celebrated, too. But Democrats are likely fretting over the prospects of a bill that many of them deemed politically impossible. How did a bill that almost certainly makes health care more expensive for low-income, sicker, older, and more rural voters who make up much of the Republican base even make it this far? One good answer might have come from a recent interview on AHCA between Alabama's Representative Mo Brooks and CNN's Jake Tapper. The plan will allow insurance companies to require people who have higher health care costs to contribute more to the insurance pool, Brooks claimed. That helps offset all these costs, thereby reducing the cost to those people who lead good lives. 
they're healthy, they've done things to keep their bodies healthy, and right now those are the people who've done things in the right way that are seeing their costs skyrocketing. You know, those healthy people can wind up in a car crash and then be, you know, screwed up forever. Or, and, uh, and not suddenly gets, or suddenly get sick. Or get sick because of some ailment. It's the same old thing. Uh, rich people are better yeah. because God rewarded them. God rewards them, yeah. Healthy yeah. people are better because they lived better. That's right. That's right. That's, right. That's, that's the Republican way. And in the Bible it says the sins of the Father will be visited on the Son. So that's because you're a sinner. Well. That's what they mean by that. You know, you get a hereditary illness. It's not like, you know, it's like, what are you going to do about it? Well, it's because you're... But with Trump, you don't get any insurance. You die. But he gets insurance. Uh, I want want to go back up. Where do you want to go? What's that exactly? How whole Tamura heals the damaged brain. That was interesting. Mm -hmm. Long considered impossible to attain, new research reveals how a simple spice might contribute to the regeneration of the damaged brain. Oh, like if someone had an accident or really? whatever it is, yeah. I got a whole uh, pound of that stuff that I I used to use, and now I I stopped using because... Because your brain grew too much? (laughs) My brain grew, yeah. It just was... uh, I really didn't... The, the flavor kind of got to me, you know. Uh, yes, it's, yeah, it's, it's cumin, you know. It's just, yeah, long considered impossible to accomplish, new research reveals how a simple spice might contribute to the regeneration of the damaged brain. Turmeric is hands down one of, of the, if not the most, versatile healing spice in the world. With over 600 experimentally confirmed health benefits, and an ancient history filled with deep reverence for its seemingly compassionate power to alleviate human suffering. But most of the focus over the past decade has been centered on only one of its many hundreds of phytocompounds, namely the primary polyphenol in turmeric known as curcumin, which gives the spice its rich golden hue. The curcumin-centric focus has led to the development of some very good products, such as philosophical bound curcumin concentrate. Phospholipid. Oh, did I say curcumin? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I'm too far back here. Phospholipid bound curcumin, which... (laughs) <laughs> which greatly helps to, you want a philosophical curcumin? BCM95. I never heard of that, which uh, greatly helps to increase the absorption and bioactivity of curcumin. Uh, but curcumin isolates are only capable of conferring a part of turmeric's therapeutic power, and therein lies the limitation and hubris of the dominant isolate, the active ingredient model. This is kind of... Um, yeah, he goes on. Let's see if we can go get how to get the most out of your turmeric. One of the most frequent asked questions we feel is, oh, we, what is we, the best we, type we, of okay. turmeric? How turmeric can save the aging brain from dementia. Turmeric produces remarkable recovery in Alzheimer's patients. Oh, that's good to know. And the spice that prevents fluoride from destroying your brain. Mm. Turmeric is a neuroprotective agent. Well, we need that. Ah, yes, we do. So, 
Let's see how it ages. It can save the aging brain from a dementia. That's important. And Alzheimer's and fluoride dementia brain. Fluoride causes your brain to go crazy. I don't use fluoride. No, we don't. We've been so much healthier since. Yeah, my teeth have stopped crumbling away. Yeah, so. How turmeric can save the aging brain from dementia and premature death. A promising new study published in the Cellular Physiology and Biochemistry titled Dietary Curcumin Ameliorates Aging-Related Cerebrovascular Dysfunction Through the AMPK Uncoupling Protein 2 Pathway. Well, what does that mean? Reveals the primary, uh, primary polyphenol in turmeric known as curcumin may provide what the study authors describes as an effective therapeutic strategy to reverse age-related cerebrovascular dysfunction. And otherwise, your brain is crumbling, I guess. Age-related cerebrovascular dysfunction is occurring on an epidemic scale in Western countries and includes stroke, cerebral uh, amyloid, angiopathy, uh, cognitive decline and neurodegenerative diseases. Uh, presently, very few, if any, conventional medical inter- interventions are capable of providing effective solutions, and none have been found to reverse underlying pathologies in conditions those trajectories are generally uh, characterized as incurable. All the more reason why the new study holds so much more promise uh, and providing an evidence-based natural solution that is safe, effective, affordable, and easily accessible as a familiar food ingredient. This is kind of... Well, it's, yeah, uh, don't it's, go to that study. Just go to the end. It'll give the... Yeah. The authors summarized their findings as follows. In summary, our findings provide the first evidence that chronic pharmace- pharmacological AMPK UCP2 pathway activation by curcumin treatment may be effective therapeutic strategy to reverse age-related cerebral vascular dysfunction. In other words, in other words, it can help your brain function yeah, really. from diseases that are destroying it. Uh, curcumin administration may represent a promising lifestyle intervention for preventing age-related cerebral vascular disturbance. I'll make some more capsules of those. We'll start mm. taking them, I think, I think so. we got plenty of just... What else did they say here? So that's a good thing to use. I mean, if it helps yeah. people with dementia. Oh, yeah. I, I hope, and uh, Alzheimer's uh, patients... 600 I, other conditions, health conditions, it's, uh, it, it cures. You, Even you, ones you don't know you have. Yeah. <laughs> Over 177 distinct beneficial... Uh, physiological actions documented within this literature through the spice neuroprotective properties. It's amazing, huh? All this stuff has been around forever and kept from us. Yeah, turmeric, remarkable recovery, Alzheimer's patients. We report the ability of turmeric to produce dramatic improvements in patients suffering from behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia. Mm -hmm. As we uh, discuss in in the article, other documented Alzheimer's diseases Mechanism of turmeric include anti-inflammatory, anti-oxidative, may reduce damage via oxidants, anti-cytotoxic, appears to uh, protect 
protect against the cellular damage effect of B amyloid proteins, whatever those are, and anti-amyloidogenic. Turmeric contains a variety of compounds. Which may strike to the root of pathological cause of Alzheimer's disease by preventing eight amyloid protein formations. Because that's what they say, it tangles up your brain. Neurorestorative uh, circuminoids appear to rescue long-term potentiation. Educational functional memory impaired by amyloid peptides and may reverse physiological damage by restoring distorted neurites and disrupting existing plaques. So the it kind of frees the brain up from all those tangles when you look yeah. at you know diagrams and things and, of the brain that are that are that are have people that have yeah. Alzheimer's or dementia. It shows that everything is kind of tangled and yeah, kind of sticky and, in there. And, yeah, and this and it's due to the uh, the plaque. Mm-hmm. All right, but this re, re, this uh, this restorative neurorestorative cumin uh, uh, destroys the plaque and metal. Chelating properties. Curcumin has a higher binding affinity for iron and copper than zinc, which may contribute to its protective effect in Alzheimer's disease. As iron mediated, uh, iron mediated damage can play a pathological role. Iron mediated. Okay, and there are other things that help too: coconut oil, cocoa, sage, folic acid, resveratrol. Oh, reverse I'm not sh- what I don't uh, know what that is. Grapes, wine, peanuts, and, and uh, chocolate. Binko biloba, Melissa Offenalis, and saffron. So you eat, if you eat those things, uh, uh, grapes, wine, peanuts, and chocolate. It has reversal, which are 16, uh, which are uh, anti-Alzheimer's properties. Mm. Ginkgo biloba. We've seen that before. A few herbs uh, proven to be at least effective in the pharmaceutical drug Aricept in treating and proving Alzheimer's. Um, Melissa Offen Alice. This herb, also known as lemon balm, has been found to have therapeutic effects in patients with mild to moderate Alzheimer's. Saffron. This herb compares favorably to the drug. Dome puzzle in the treatment of mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease. So, curcumin is the best out of all, and that, that is uh, turmeric. You know, maybe the most, the most important. Six hundred reasons. It may be the most important. Yeah. We two hundred clinically confirmed reasons not to eat it. Mm. Wheat. Mm. Moly. You don't want to be eating mold. No, that's for sure. No moldies, man. Not for me. Let's see. Uh, you want to see why, why we shouldn't eat wheat? Okay. Two hundred reasons. This is from the Green Med Info. They get a lot of interesting stuff. They send me stuff. Send up for these stuff. Sales of food labeled gluten-free now reaching over $6 billion a year. Well, 
something truly profound is happening to the way in which Americans are perceiving the role of wheat in their diets. Once celebrated as the very poster child of the health food movement, folks are increasingly rejecting this king of grains and are now identifying it as being at the very root of their health problems. Detractors claim that the movement is just a fad, of course, that those who have embarked upon it without an official diagnosis are a bit crazy. But after all, simply feeling better following gluten elimination is not considered to be proof of anything within the conventional medical system. (laughs) Biopsies, antibody, and genetic tests later, um, if, if nothing is found, and you'll still think gluten, this scared, omnipresent grain, is a problem, you might just get referred to a psychiatrist. But anecdotes and subjective experience aside, the type of clinical research that constitutes truth with a capital T from the perspective of the dominant medical establishment can be found in the National Library of Medicine's biomedical database known as Medline. This vast bibliographic archive contains over 21 million citation entries, uh, which as of time of this writing contains 97,776 references to gluten. Wow. All right, let's go to the bottom there and find yeah, out. Let's see what's the bottom what, line there. Yeah, what the, you know, the kids. Uh, well, oh, no, you passed. Where no, I went to shot real fast. Yeah. Right there, right there. Oh, we yeah. want to know, find out what's in okay. wheat. Quick summary of the 205 associated diseases with wheat. Celiac disease, wheat intolerance, gluten sensitivity, gluten intolerance, autoimmune diseases, schizophrenia, uh, food allergies, uh, wheat psoriasis, Down syndrome, diabetes mellitus, irritable bowel syndrome, diabetes mellitus type 1. 20 associated adverse pharmacological actions. Well, I think it's interesting that psoriasis, okay, uh, I found when I when I got rid of the most of my psoriasis left me uh, because I started, and then uh, food allergies, the one of the highest is wheat. Um, yeah, diabetics are that, diabetics prevention. Uh, Let's see what's at, at the top there. It doesn't really say what the, uh, no, no, at the top of the column. Knowledge count in articles, the uh, number of articles that um, focus on that, that I guess. focused on it, right? Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, okay. Quick summary of 20 associated adverse pharmacological actions. Okay. Uh, this is from gluten. Oh no! Cumulative articles they're talking about. Uh, neurotoxic. I mean, I see. They didn't really list what I was looking for. Wow. What were you looking for? I was looking for the the diseases and the 200 things that were associated with it. Wow. They didn't list it that way. I don't quite understand the knowledge in that 50. No, it's the their articles, that's all, that relate to it. Okay. Well, that's all. Just, just to know that uh, you know, um, just stay away from gluten. You know, wheat, wheat is not good for you. And the reason it's not good for you anymore, probably never was, is because of the way because they use glyphosate. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Not to kill at all. No, and it causes poison. You know, it's genetically modified. Genetically modified foods—they're not good for you. If you're still going to Starbucks, get ready to never want to to go again. And why is that? I don't go anywhere. from a real pharmacy. Now they're starting to add stuff to the. Every dollar spent at Starbucks supports GMOs, empowers Monsanto, and hurts grassroots GMO labeling effort. Here's what they don't want you to know. Monsanto latte. Tell Starbucks to serve only organic milk. If you take the time to examine your personal buying habits closely, it's rather obvious that those buying habits are based on decisions, informed or not. And most would agree decisions are one of the more familiar ways we create our personal world, Yet somehow there is often a big disconnect between how our little world decisions um, interface with and help greater the larger world we share with others. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, Starbucks uses GMO, you know, milk, all right, and their lattes. And uh, so don't use GMOs and don't use don't don't drink Starbucks. Got it. Hmm. Okay. That's what I see. You can go to realpharmacy.com, real pharmacy with an F. And uh, talks about it. Let's see what else we got here in time to. Romance mode, no more. Trudeau considers retaliation for U.S. tariff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's planning on, on increasing tariffs himself. This was fascinating. You can't really go into it, but they really they mapped. If you want to go to futurism.com, the most fascinating article, uh, and uh, it's uh, um, the most detailed map of the universe today. It's, it's amazing what they what they came up with, uh, the actual map of the universe. It's like, it's like freaking unbelievable. Look at this. It doesn't even look like a universe. It looks like, um, uh, it looks like veins. Or like, look at this. Uh, yeah, yeah, it take a while to look at it. Yeah, it looks like the. It looks like the. It looks like a. A body. It looks like the inside of your brain cells, or it looks like brain cells and uh, neurons and stuff. It's really bizarre. You know, it, it it's really is. Now, I'll leave you with this idea: is in Beijing ballroom, Kushner family flogs a five hundred thousand dollar investor visa to wealthy Chinese. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? He's uh he's uh prom- sister. Yeah, but they're promising uh uh fast track visas. Yeah, fast track visas to to live in, in the United States. Representatives of the Kushner family, which is Jared Kushner's family, which is a son in law of Trump, uh urges Chinese citizens to consider investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in New Jersey real estate. Chinese investor visa. Um, so for five hundred thousand dollars, you can get yeah, over here. Invest in Kushner properties. So can you? Okay. Uh, that was the message delivered Saturday by White House senior advisor Jared Kushner's sister, Nicole Kushner, America, to a ballroom full of wealthy Chinese investors in Beijing. Over several hours of slideshows and presentation, representatives. From the Kirshner family business, urged Chinese citizens uh, gathered at a Ritz Carlton hotel to consider investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in a New Jersey apart- luxury apartment complex 
that would help them secure what's known as an American investor visa. Uh, <clears throat> the potential investors were advised to invest sooner rather than later in case visa rules changed under the Trump administration. But invest early, and you will invest under the old rules, one speaker said. The tagline on the brochure for the event, invest 500000 and immigrate to the United States. This is crazy. Yeah. And this is, these are these bastards. Of course. Yeah, I mean, you know. So yeah, well, Who is Jared Christian? Let's listen to that one thing. It's only a dollar. It's only a minute and 40 seconds. Okay. And that'll give you a good idea. Make you sick before you go to bed, though, probably. You think so? Well, it's not coming up, so I guess that's uh, that's our. Who is Jared Kushner? Uh, uh, This is uh, all you read, all you can read. Trump tapped Kushner to lead the new White House office. Uh, Let it go. I'm trying to get the sound down, so I don't have to listen up. Need the White House office of what? You expect to use ideas from the business world to overhaul the federal bureaucracy. So they said, don't make the trip. So wait a minute. Politically, wouldn't it be great if she had her baby in Iowa? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be unbelievable? That would guarantee me victory. Christian is Jewish, the grandson of Holocaust survivors. He has defended Trump against charges of anti-Semitism and racism. over his family business after his father went to prison for tax evasion and other crimes. He was then U.S. Attorney Chris Christie who prosecuted Kushner's father. Yeah. Kushner is a senior advisor to the president in the Trump's administration. Kushner's attorney says Kushner will resign from his business and divest substantial assets. Yeah, right. The Justice Department found Kushner's role does not violate anti-nepotism laws. Jeez. Hmm. He's not taking a salary. Oh, okay. That's all right. That's not... Huh. Getting his He's money out. whatever he can steal. Yeah, the other way. This is Jim. So anyway, we are... At the end of our show, and we are happy that we are able to do a, a good one tonight. And um, there's a lot to think about, folks. Oh yeah, I hope again. Some it of it's you. pretty scary, sure but is. hopefully the sun will come up tomorrow. It'll be a better day. Oh, I wanted to get to the article on Fukushima explodes, but uh, to check it out yourself, go to Google, look up Fukushima explodes. That's kind <laughs> and, of scary. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really getting bad over there. Well. Good night, folks, and remember there's always tomorrow. Good night, everybody.